From iCare Partners, this is the Doc to Doc podcast. Clinical discussions with our team of world-class eye care professionals across the country. Through connectedness and continuing education, we help patients see their absolute best for life. Your host is Dr. Lori Preventure, a glaucoma specialist and cataract surgeon at the Cincinnati Eye Institute. Today I'm excited to have Dr. John Shepard with me virtually. He's president of Virginia Eye Consultants and he is a fellowship trained cornea and uveitis specialist. So Dr. Shepard, for the benefit of us all, you've taken the time to synthesize and organize a huge body of knowledge in order to compare adenovirus to coronavirus. So let's start on a microscopic level. We've seen images of coronavirus everywhere during this pandemic. Adenovirus, not so much, but they look very different. Can you explain how their appearance or their structure really translates to differences in infectivity? That's a great question, Lori. Thanks for inviting me. We realize now that despite the pandemic, adenovirus is by far the more likely organism to present in our clinics with a diagnosis of red eye or pink eye. We tend to forget these common contagious diseases with significant ocular morbidity, whereas coronavirus is far less likely to create ocular symptoms, particularly in an outpatient setting. First of all, we're screening patients before they enter our clinic for fever and coronavirus exposure. Secondly, even in hospitalized patients and patients known to have coronavirus infections prior to significant symptoms, conjunctivitis is minimal, self-limited, and generally asymptomatic. So, although most people with coronavirus infection don't present for eye symptoms, one to three percent of them do have what could be called conjunctivitis. Thus, we must not forget that adenovirus remains a very important pathogen for humans. Adenovirus is found in a a wide variety of human infections, from conjunctivitis to pharyngitis to gastroenteritis, even meningitis. And adenovirus has been present in human tissues in a latent state throughout lifetimes and perhaps for millennia. This is very different than this cross-species transmission of coronavirus, which likely in its current form originated in bats or pangolins and then was picked up by serendipity or bad luck by a human being. With this mutation in the spike protein, which binds to human ACE2 receptors. These are respiratory receptors found in the nose and the throat, as well as the conjunctiva. So there are five portals for coronavirus entry based upon this microbiology. Whereas the adenovirus binds to a variety of human tissues and is so safe in terms of its limited morbidity that it has actually been used for a wide variety of genetic engineering and gene therapy vectors. And the adenovirus can contain a great amount of very useful DNA and can target very specific human tissues. So COVID-19 patients may have red, teary eyes, but can you actually culture coronavirus from the conjunctiva? Or what about from the tears? Excellent question, yes. It's possible in patients who are positive in the nasopharynx to also be culture positive, that is reverse transcriptase PCR for coronavirus with a conjunctival swab. 
This may occur somewhat later in the course of the condition after initial exposure, but it is a significant risk factor for healthcare personnel, particularly eye care professionals who may be touching the ocular surface. However, it has been more difficult, as shown in a Singapore study, to get viable coronaviruses from human tears, although not impossible. Thus, it's important to avoid direct contact with the eyes. I always use a long cotton tip applicator to hold the upper and lower lids and find this greatly reduces my own direct exposure to the patient and vice versa. And it's always a good idea to have gloves available as well. Thus, the conjunctival surfaces are two of the five portals of entry for coronavirus. It's easy to worry a patient with red eyes could have COVID-19, as COVID-19 is always on our mind. But if the rates of ocular manifestations are low, please help recalibrate our thinking. Common things being common, what should we be worried about? What should be our differential at this time for acute conjunctivitis in 2020? The differential for acute conjunctivitis in 2020 remains the same as it has been for the last decade. A patient presenting with coronavirus conjunctivitis and no other symptoms would be few and far between. It would be highly unlikely for the patient to have no history of COVID infection or exposure, no culture, and no other issues such as fever or respiratory symptoms, and also have conjunctivitis. If we are concerned a patient has COVID-19 associated ocular manifestations, how should we treat the patient? There is no currently known significant ocular morbidity from coronavirus infection. We're learning more and more about other issues and indeed there may be delayed conjunctival scarring. Thus, the treatment algorithm for conjunctivitis remains the same in the era of coronavirus. And instead, if a patient is suspected of having coronavirus, they should be immediately triaged away from the eye clinic and the prevalence of elderly patients in such an environment and sent directly to a tertiary care facility where a full evaluation and testing and potential isolation or quarantine can be recommended appropriately. So let's end on the topic of prevention. Adenovirus, as we all know, is extremely contagious. Why exactly is that? Can you remind us? And how does coronavirus compare? There are some interesting similarities between these two viruses because we should really treat all of our patients as if they have prodromal adenovirus and asymptomatic coronavirus because you really don't know who these folks might be. However, it's more difficult to eliminate adenovirus from your clinic than it is coronavirus because you cannot use isopropyl alcohol to eliminate adenovirus. Thus, you must resort to ammonium or chloride-containing disinfectants. That being said, respiratory transmission is the main means of contagious transmission of coronavirus. So, in our clinic, we need to wear masks, have our patients wear masks, and use a double barrier at the slit lamp to prevent respiratory droplets and aerosols, the large and small transmission agents of coronavirus, from reaching the patient and reaching the doctor. 
by far the most significant gesture for preventing coronavirus infection is wearing a mask if you are the person with the coronavirus. Wearing a mask as protection is far less effective than wearing a mask if you indeed are the person who is infected, obviously not knowing so initially. And lastly, what sort of PPE would you don if you had a patient with a red eye in your clinic? Now, this day and age, compared to say one year ago. In reality, we should be using the same PPE now that we used a year ago. In fact, adenovirus may be more contagious in a clinic setting because of its ability to persist on surfaces so effectively. We cannot kill adenovirus with isopropyl alcohol. And as a result, we must wear masks to protect ourselves from coronavirus and be extremely careful about contact transmission of adenovirus. Our standards must remain vigilant and high and there's some silver lining to this cloud. We have seen a decrease in the incidence of adenovirus infection with the resurgence of the pandemic for a variety of reasons, one of which may be better precautions taken by everyone in terms of hand washing, but it may also be the fact that adenovirus is transmitted from human to human and there's less human contact. So we will in perpetuity be well aware of our ability to transmit both adenovirus and coronavirus in our clinics. It is incumbent upon all eye care practitioners to maintain viral vigilance. Great, so thank you so much for being here. We're all excited to have our cross practice first um, podcast interview and we hope to do a lot more of this and we appreciate your input and your expertise on this timely subject. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. The opinions expressed by the physicians in this podcast are solely the personal opinions of the providers and do not represent iCare Partners policy.